The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are and whenever you're listening to this episode of Equal Play, welcome. I'm your host, Annie Costable. Thank you for tuning in, for listening, for subscribing, and for rating this podcast. Your love is so appreciated. I wanted to take a quick second and say happy Women's History Month. I mistakenly did not make mention of it in last week's episode and shame on me for that. I also wanted to take a second and thank all the incredible women who have given their time to this podcast. We honor you this month and every month. It's because of you that so many of us have footsteps to follow in. This week, we welcome in another incredible guest, the first woman to coach for an MLB organization, coaching for the A's Fall Instructional League in 2015, and the first woman to throw BP for an MLB organization in 2011 when she threw for Cleveland. Most notably, though, the founder of Baseball for All, Justine Siegel. Let's get into it. On this week's episode of Equal Play, I am so thrilled to announce and bring in the first woman to coach for a professional baseball organization, the first woman coach hired in Major League Baseball and founder of Baseball for All, Justine Siegel. Justine, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I have been really amped on getting you on this podcast for quite some time, honestly, since I I started it because... Uh, a year ago, or maybe even two years ago, I remember being at a panel that you were on and your career has just been so impactful. And I, yeah, I've just been dying to get your perspective. So I want to start from the very beginning and a moment in your life and career at 13, when you were told that girls only play softball. And I wonder at that time, the impact it had on your life, but also on a deeper level, the impact it ended up having on your entire career. You know, I never expected that moment to be sort of a thread in my life. Um, I was just playing baseball uh, when the coach waited for all the other kids to leave the dugout and say, you know, he didn't want me on his team and that girls should go play softball. And I, of course I stayed on the team, but, um, I just had no idea that was going to be a big moment, but it's, it's interesting how I still remember it, you know, like, right. <laughs> um, so I think it was definitely the moment where everything became harder for me. 
I mean, that, that makes sense because I was now on a big field and I was 13 and now, you know, the next step becomes high school and so on. But, um, you know, it's just been something that I've, I've kept with me. And, and from a bigger picture, you know, it makes me sick to my stomach that there are still girls being told that they shouldn't play baseball because they're girls. So, from, you right. know, and that, that influenced my desire to start baseball for all, which is a nonprofit I created. Definitely. And I definitely want to dive into baseball for all. And, and we absolutely will in our conversation, but I want to go back to that message that's being sent to women and young women, particularly that baseball isn't their sport that they have to transition to softball because there are multiple sports that have this energy and have coaches sending that message. Baseball's one football's one hockey, I think is one. And I guess my question for you is, and maybe I should be asking the men this, but why, how how do we completely erase the, the idea that there has to be a modified version for women? Like these are sports that women can play the same with, you know, basketball, all these other sports that have a men's league and a women's league. Why are certain sports being deemed like there has to be an alternative um, well, I mean, it obviously has to do with history, for example, with baseball, um, when Little League was sued by Maria Pepe and now to allow girls to play baseball, you know, Little League's response was, let's create softball league. And that immediately funneled most of the girls out of the baseball programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so softball is, it's different. Softball and baseball are different because they really are two different sports versus right. basketball. They're similar enough. You know, like the, the, the basketball is a little smaller and stuff, but it's it's the same strategy and so on. So I think time time is just coming. You know, it's a new generation, and they're demanding new opportunities, and and they won't they won't accept this kind of discrimination. And you're seeing that from the the playground to sports fields onto those working in sports. Do you think? softball and women's baseball would be able to, to both be sustainable. If do you think we'll get to a point where softball and baseball for women will be sustainable? Yeah, I definitely think softball and baseball can coexist. Uh, they're different sports, right? Um, not every, everyone wants to throw 90 feet, you know, um, softball is somewhat of a quicker game. You could argue it's a quicker game. So it's just different. And I think they can coexist. I definitely think there would be players that like to overlap, but um, I don't see one or the other. And right now we live in a society that's very one or the other. Right. And we're, we're trying to change that with baseball for all. You earned your PhD in psychology. Why did you choose that route? Did you envision yourself combining obviously psychology and your career as, as a coach? Did you envision yourself as a mental performance coach? Why? Why did you want that PhD in psychology? Uh, what I was actually sports psychology. Sports psychology. Um, I decided at 16 that I wanted to get a PhD. And the reason was because um, that's when I decided I wanted to be a college baseball coach. And the first person I told was my coach who I worshipped. And he immediately laughed at me and said no man would ever listen to a woman on a baseball field. Again, another moment where I had no idea it would become, 
you know, such a big threat. Uh, and so I just started thinking about, well, what can I do? What can I put in my toolbox that's going to get me the opportunity to coach college baseball? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I knew I, I knew I wasn't going to play D1 or anything like that. So um, I decided I wanted to get a PhD. And so um, I eventually went, pursued my PhD. And while I was doing that, I was an assistant baseball coach at the college level. Um, so sports psych is something that's I just really relate to because I was the kid who threw a glove. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So I certainly don't want athletes to live bad life and to be able to be a little more calm and enjoy the game (laughs) a bit more. (laughs) Absolutely. But I mean, Hey, it, it, it helped you. And it was, uh, you know, something like you said that you related to because of your own experiences, but you know, I've talked to a lot of women pioneers in sport and, you know, you, you said your degree or your PhD in sports psychology was to, you know, help get you on the field. It was, you know, to verse, to diversify your skill set though, so that you were perceived as like a commodity on the field. And again, a lot of women I talk to who are pioneers are doing all this work, like outside of the sport itself to, to earn that respect that, you know, men without PhDs or, or other individuals who don't feel like they, they have that pressure of, of adding to their skill set. And so I wonder what your advice is for young women in that regard of, of having to go above the expectation just to get that, that opportunity, just to get that, that foot in the door. You know, I think thankfully times are changing. And, and it'll be much more level. So, you know, my advice to you, girls and young women has always been go get overqualified. You know, don't give them an excuse to say no. So, for example, if you if you can go learn Spanish, go learn Spanish. Do five internships when everyone else is doing three. Mm. Um, so it's always a good idea to get overqualified. Um, I think the biggest thing is sort of really working in the area you want to be in mm-hmm. and getting those connections and understanding the culture and, and knowing first, you want to really know if this culture is for you. You may think it is, but it may not be something you want. You know, for example, uh, with women, I know a uh, big challenge is when are they going, like, when could they get pregnant? Uh-huh. Will they take child leave? Right. You know? And so once you realize that you're actually going to be, at work, like 16 hours a day, right. You know, six, seven days a week. Is that the culture you really want? And it may be when you're in your twenties and it may not be in your thirties. Right. Um, so I think just understanding what you want to do, meet and talk to as many women and men that you can about what their job is like and, and go from there. You know, I think just cause you may pivot and go some into a new direction doesn't necessarily mean failure. It just means we're learning as we go, you know, it's life. You know, I've read quite a few stories on you, quite a few interviews. And one thing that you've been told consistently or that you've, you've mentioned in, in a few interviews is that you were, you were told that no man is going to listen to a woman on the, on a baseball field. And obviously that's, that's not true. Uh, any good player just wants you know, to learn from a good coach, but can you describe how 
men have used intimidation to keep women out of certain roles in sport and, and how, and what it takes to combat that in order to, you know, progress in this field? You know, for me, the biggest challenge has always been to just show what I know. Right. Just like, ask me a question, ask me a pitching question. Don't ask me a question about, can I relate to the players? Yes, I can relate to the players. Um, so I think opportunity, it, it doesn't exactly answer your question, but it is sort of like, you know, at least it's like when we, uh, now we're widening our cast of, of interviewees, you know, of job candidates uh-huh. that allows us to finally hire someone we may not have thought before. And I just feel like so much in my life, my life and being a pioneer was about, you know, can I just get a phone call? But, you know, I think some, I would say the biggest things is when coaches or people that you work with, they like, they call you honey. Oh my God. Okay, sweetie. Okay, honey. And you know, it's a microaggression against you. I mean, occasionally when they're like 60 and up, it's not, it's just like how they were raised and they just talk that way. They don't, they don't mean it as much as when the 30 year old does it and they're specifically not calling you coach or your name. Um, so I think, that's been more, more or less it. You know, when I was younger, I was hit on at various times. I never get hit on anymore. <laughs> Just an, <laughs> an old mate, I guess. But, um, you know, and those are things you just navigate. I mean, I've so many times I've been with my, uh, my peers and like, you know, we're, we're all drinking or just hanging out, you know, and I just always make sure that I don't leave at the same time as someone else as a man, cause I don't, you know, just the threat of a rumor right. could be enough to, to ruin everything. The derail. And that's, yeah, it's just ridiculous. But you know, those are things that I've always thought about as my landmines is right. to, to try to keep rumors away. And, um, you know, I think just very much live my own path and kind of stay squeaky clean. Who were coaches that significantly impacted your career that you were looking up to? Because, Again, when you are a pioneer, when you are the first, you're usually not looking up to someone who looks like you because you're the first. So in your career, who were some people that that shaped your career, gave you the confidence to pursue this that you really admired and looked up to? I think that's a fair question and one that I would say I don't have someone like that with my mentor or that I really looked up to. Okay, just since this is audio only, my light just fell. But it's all good. Um, but um, for me, it was just a pure passion. Uh-huh. And then, of course, I tried to learn from everyone. You know, I'm very much a natural observer. So um, I was just always looking to everyone, what I liked and what I didn't like from people. But it was certainly... Um, I didn't have like a rah-rah team behind me. Mm. And the more I talk to young women in, in baseball specifically, I'm hearing more of them say they had like a rah-rah team behind them, you know, that they were accepted, that a, a man came and brought them in, you know, helped them learn the position. And I just, I just didn't really have that, to be honest. Um, I worked with Mark. I have to say I worked with Coach Mark Simeone at Springfield College um, for three years and he was fantastic and 
I never really thought about my gender or anything like that. He treated me like the other coaches. In fact, we related more as parents. You know, that was more of a conversation than, you know, being a woman. Mm -hmm. How challenging was that to navigate this field without a mentor, without that rah-rah camaraderie that you described? Because that's helpful. I mean, I know that's gotten me through a lot of days and moments in my career. It's lonely. You know, you have to be your own motivator. I had my daughter, Jasmine, in college. And so while that's created challenges, while I pursued what I wanted to do, it's also like just a great reminder every day of what's important, you know? And, and for me, I've always thought about the big picture as much as I love baseball, as much as I love coaching. I, I also was aware that if I could, if I could pursue these goals and reach them, then it will be easier for the people behind me. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you can be both, you know, you can understand and totally love it and, and know where you are in history and how you can help others. Um, and so that was kind of where I went from, you know, my daughter was my motivation every day. And, and I just, I hate being told no. <laughs> right. As most successful people do like that word is just not part of your vocabulary. You're like, no, what, what is that? What do you mean? No, you've had so many milestones in your career. So many first, what for you was the, the biggest turning point or a moment that you look back and you're like, wow, this was significant. This was huge. Uh, I never expected when I threw batting practice, when I was first woman to throw batting practice in major league, I didn't expect it to become an international story. Mm-hmm. Um, and you cou- I coupled with that with, uh, I, Christina Taylor Green was a nine-year-old who was killed in the Tucson shootings. Mm-hmm. And um, I wore a patch. Her dream was to play in the major leagues. And I wore a patch um, in her memory uh, from, that her little league had put together. And so every time we were in this story, you know, both, both of us got mentioned. And I was able to meet her mother during that time. And it's like so humbling. You know, she asked me to sign this ball. You know, she put it on her, like, you know, above her chimney or something like that, you know, in her living room. It was just so humbling for me to live out my dream and at the same time bring out this girl's story. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I've always thought about, like, the media is not, not just telling my story, but really the story of all girls and women who want to get out of the stands and onto the field. Uh-huh. You know, so I've never, I've never really thought about it as being just about me. Throwing batting practice for Cleveland. I wonder what emotions beyond all those that you just described you were feeling because as a kid growing up, dreaming of playing for Cleveland to then be, you know, in the uniform throwing, what do you remember about that day as far as, you know, checking that off your bucket list or, or just the emotion of, yeah, connecting that dream as a little a little girl to being an adult and accomplishing a level of it. Uh, yeah, so it was obviously an amazing day. Um, I threw BP to six major league teams. In fact, it was Billy Bean with the A's who said yes first. And um, but my dream was to play, you know, was be Cleveland because that's where I'm from. Right. So I went back to Cleveland and I was like, I want to make history. Can I do this with you? Even the Dodgers asked me who would ignore me. They're like, we want you to throw, but 
can you throw before the Indians? And I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> I'm going to make history. And I wish I could throw to the Dodgers and wear Dodger blue, but like, this is my team. So I very much felt like, um, just like my grandfather, who I went to games with, you know, all that family love as I was putting on my uniform and my number's 15 the day my daughter was born and she was with me the whole time. And um, it was a lot of pressure. You know, I knew that if I didn't do well, it'd be a long time before another woman was given a chance. And um, I succeeded and I did well enough and it made news. And what was cool is that years later, I would have um, women, I would just meet them and be like, oh, I got to throw BP to the team, you know, because I showed them you, you know, and that kind of thing where they, young women working in baseball could now point to why it wasn't a ridiculous idea, uh-huh. which is essentially what I was told is right. a ridiculous idea. Right. <laughs> and, and now it, you can see it's not. And, and that was kind of um, the result. But to be honest, it was just a dream come true to go to different <laughs> teams and throw BP. And yes, it was a lot of pressure, but it was amazing. How do you navigate that pressure? Because that's another common thread I hear from women of the pressure of being the first is is a very heavy weight because you have no room for error or the you know the possibility for the women coming behind you gets delayed. So how did you navigate that pressure? How did you put yourself at ease? Or was it simply, oh, I just have to push through this pressure and survive? Uh, first uh, is preparation uh-huh. for me in this instance. Um, I was in the gym a couple hours a day. No one knew that I actually had kind of a bum arm yeah. uh, just from playing. So I got my arm super strong. I was in the gym two hours a day, like I said, um, thrown against a wall because it was winter. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no one else to throw to. Um, just being strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also went to different D1 colleges and I threw batting practice to them. And the whole idea was like, I'm going to be a woman who walks onto this team and just throws them BP with like no real explanation and pass to perform, Uh you know? So you start to get used to like show up, perform, do well and manage all of those emotions. So by then, you know, when you, I got to Cleveland or, or actually it was in Arizona, but when I got to the Indians, I at least had learned how to settle the butterflies. Mm-hmm. Yes, the butterflies were more, but I could rely on the fact that I had, I could rely on my training. Right. You know? Right. So, so it was good. Preparation is the biggest key to combating the pressure and the butterflies then, I guess. I, I am a big fan of preparation, even over preparing for those who need to, um, whatever it takes to help you calm yourself. So for me, preparation, knowing was bigger than myself. I had a reset word set up that I had prepared, you know, like I had practiced. So meaning when I was starting to feel, feel it, like when I was with the A's and I threw to them, I threw like six balls in a row. (laughs) And it's like, this could really snowball into a complete mess, but I got to, I got to get it together. And so I had, I had a word and that reminded me to just take a breath and move forward when you're in that in that uh setting you know taking yourself back to that setting and throw six balls in a row are you is the player at the plate looking at you like 
like adding to the pressure or not looking at you at all? Or what is the energy you were receiving from, from the player? Yeah. In this case, um, I had just restrained something while I was warming up, like my groin that I had just healed a week ago. And so because of it, I had to adjust my mechanics on the fly as to how I could throw strikes because I could no longer do the same motion I've been doing over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And that's why I was not throwing strikes. I got lucky though, because it was Coco Chris from uh, back there. And he's like, Hey, it's snowing back here. Uh, Referring to all the balls that were in the back of the net. Um, I think his sense of humor, you know, definitely, it could have gone another way if there was like swearing or I told you this couldn't work or something like that. Right. And I, I was able to get on track and um, I guess uh, Coco Chris, his mother used to throw him, throw to him in the backyard and stuff. So he was really a great guy to throw to, you know, there was about five guys I threw to, but he was a great one to start with. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, I love when like the universe aligns you with the right person to to like make a moment happen. Obviously, you would have gotten through that moment, whoever was at the plate. But I, I do think like there's no mistake in, in the fact that it was Coco at the plate and, you know, his humor combined with the fact that his mom threw to him like this was it was uh, it was a universe, you know, provided moment that that was meant to meant to be there. But in a story I read, you were quoted as saying, I've made history, but there's nothing special about me. I just never gave up. And I think a lot of people in a lot of different industries trying to accomplish a lot of great stuff have this idea that there's some magic ingredient to success or, or magic ingredient to accomplishing your dreams. And I think the magic ingredient is just never giving up. So what advice do you have for young individuals with big dreams, with pioneer type dreams about what it takes to actually make it happen? Yeah, it definitely stand by how average I am. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm not really super at anything, but you know, um, I have determination, I have grit. Um, I'd like to think I'm kind, but all of these all of these things are like already inside you, what mm-hmm. scouts call the intangibles, mm-hmm. you know, how hard you're willing to work. That's not, that's not something that, like you measure that, you know, you're in control of how hard you work. You're in control of when you quit. You're in control if you go after that PhD or if you get up at 5 a.m. to go to the weight room. You know, that, those are all the things you're in control over. And to me, we have that magic stuff you know, that the magic combination already inside of us, all of us, we all have it. So I think my advice is simply, if you really want it, go for it. And and I tell people to follow their passions. I can't guarantee you you'll reach your dream. I can tell you that I reached my dream, but really my first dream was to play for the Indians. Mm, (laughs) Right. You know, so I think that when you pursue your passion, good things happen. And the end result may not look like what you thought, but good things happen. And, you know, um, that, that's what I tell people. And, and just very practically speaking, habits, you know, get your habit in place, get your, your ritual, because if you learn to get up at 5 a.m. every morning and do what you need to do, you're starting to build the steps to success. Um, 
for where you want to go. Definitely. I love that. That's such a gem because I do think, you know, no matter what your dream is, if you're, if you're following the passion, if you're following like that fire in your chest, again, the universe is going to continue guiding you as long as you never give up. And like you said, it may not look like I'm a professional baseball player for Cleveland, but it looked like, you know, I got to throw BP for Cleveland and, and obviously all these other accomplishments you've had in your career. One of them being baseball for all, which is such a hugely important nonprofit that you founded to provide opportunities for girls to play coach and just impact baseball. And, you know, the birth of your daughter, I, I read inspired that or, or, or just, um, created a shift that, that made you start thinking about how you were going to impact the next generation. So before we get into baseball for all specifically, can you talk about how your daughter influenced your career and, and that shift that took place when she was born and, and you wanting to have this impact on the future for women in the game? Sure. So I'm 46. Um, that's somewhat relevant because I had my daughter in college and mm-hmm. I went home for a fifth year of college and uh, there were no online classes, but we emailed back and forth. Uh, today, um, young women cannot stay on campus. Like that would be a normal thing to do. Whereas back then it was like, okay, go home. <laughs> so I went home and I finished my degree. Um, and I was only 23 when she was born and I was 23 when I decided I wanted to create opportunities. You know, I was tired of waiting for them. And she symbolized what all the other girls might be facing. You know, if she wanted to play baseball, I wanted her to have an easier time, face less discrimination. And the truth is she didn't really want to play baseball. She grew up, she played till she was 10, (laughs) but, um, we're getting a resurgence now that she's in her twenties and we're doing some fun things together with baseball. But the, the, the truth is, it's about following your dreams, you know, like knowing that gender, that there's no box you need to sit in, you know? And so for my daughter, for example, she was the only girl at gaming camp. So you went to engineering camp. She never thought about what she couldn't do because she was a girl and she never thought how being the only girl would be a restriction. Mm-hmm. So she really, just opened my mind to beyond what's happening in my life, you know, from, from a very early age. And so I knew I wanted to make a difference. And um, so what I started at 23 was first a women's league. And then it, it ended up morphing into a national nonprofit uh, for girls to play, co- play baseball coach and lead. How has baseball for all grown since it's, birth since its creation what pride have you taken in its growth and and what events do you have coming up for baseball for all uh we started i mean i originally had girls teams like i'd organize a girls team to go play in boys tournaments boys with quotation marks uh because it's just baseball (laughs) but um i i realized if i could start a girls team then i could teach you how to start a girls team uh-huh. And, and through that, we could create our own community. And so I created the first national girls baseball tournament in 2015 for 13 and unders. Uh-huh. And that was the beginning of 
what we now have an annual event with national teams. We're expecting 500 girls this year over at Ripken in Aberdeen, Maryland. Um, we have other events. We're very leadership driven. We want our girls to know they can do anything and that they're never too young to make a difference. So um, we have girls, have, we have a captain's program where they learn how to do their own community projects. Uh, we have a, a reading program where they, you know, they read and then they get to meet other people who work in major league baseball and mm-hmm. talk, you know, talk about leadership. So that's really important to us. So we have these baseball opportunities. We help communities start their teams, create the opportunities for them to play, you know, while we're also building, you know, tomorrow's leaders. Absolutely. And obviously this last year has impacted sports in every regard, but how did you guys adjust uh, your scheduling and everything for baseball for all given the challenges that the COVID-19 pandemic presented? Yeah, we haven't been on the field in a year because I'm in California. Um, So until all 50 states kind of open up, we didn't run programming. But um, we just amped our leadership programs and we created a webinar series, leadership webinar series. We had Kim Ng, we had Rachel Balkovic, we had all of the pioneers in baseball on so these girls could see the stories and... um, see what's possible, you know, from strength and strength and conditioning to, you know, coaching with the giants, all, all of these options were possible. If one person can do it, anyone can do it, you know, to some degree. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's what we did. We really amped our leadership programs and we were quite busy to be honest. We were quite busy. Just, I, I'd like to be on the field too. Yeah, it was a different kind of busy, but you guys were still busy. That's a great transition into this next question. But this offseason, we saw a number of women hired in in Major League Baseball roles. And and this wasn't even like the first year that we saw, you know, an influx of women hired in in Major League Baseball. But King Ang hired the hire in Miami and also Bianca Smith by the Red Sox were two very noteworthy hires. And I wonder what your reaction was to those announcements and just the influx of women again, in general, in, in major league baseball, what has been your reaction to some of these very noteworthy hires? Well, it's fantastic that there's more women, you know, uh, no one's alone. <laughs> there's, there's a community of women who are coaching, um, which is, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing considering like for so long I was on my own trying to get this possible opportunity and that, you know, one week opportunity, whatever it could be. And now, now they're really hiring and, and looking for qualified women. So with Kim Ng, I mean, thank God she waited forever. Right. <laughs> and she was so, and she was so qualified. So, you know, there's another example of not giving up. And um, I think Bianca Smith, we had her on one of our, series for the girls I think she might be a genius so uh, baseball is very lucky to have her you know when I say I'm average I'm average but I think she may be a genius <laughs> but I mean even even her story is all about just like taking every opportunity she can unpaid positions just working through it studying you know she has a law degree and an MBA and studying different languages so she's just doing everything she can and that's really what you have to do you know um We're not really in control of the outcome. We're in control of the process and and what we put in. And often if you put in all that work and if you put in the right ingredients, you'll get the outcome you want. Definitely. 
you know, you keep saying you're average and, and I respect it, but your career has proven you're very far from average. And when you've accomplished all that you've accomplished and you look at everything, and this may be a question you're not even comfortable answering given the fact that you continue to say you're, you're average, but do you want your legacy to be what you're building with baseball for all? Or do you think your legacy will be the fact that you were the first in so many places and spaces? Um, I mean, I don't sit around and think about like my legacy. <laughs> it's really, it's really cool that my age Jersey is in Cooperstown. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like the kid in me. That's incredible. Um, Tops put out a baseball card and, uh, this year and it's like <laughs> I mean you know it was amazing my, my uh, this may sound morbid but like my grandmother was dying of cancer and I like wanted her to see the car and so I like sent a picture you know so she could see like would a grandpa be proud you know yeah so a lot of that is 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 obviously super fun and and humbling but you know it's not to make history, but it's more important to build a better future. So my goal is that if you have um, a daughter, she can sign up, play baseball and it's no big thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very proud of the community we're creating and the strides that we're making uh, to really um, create balance within the baseball world, you know, so that everyone knows it's a game for them. You know, gender and, and the, you know, issue it presents in hiring practices, especially in, professional men's sports leagues is unavoidable. But I also meet this issue when interviewing pioneers in that, you know, the focus doesn't, people don't always want the focus to be on their gender. And I, I totally respect that. And, and I find that kind of infuriating at times too. Like, I don't want to just be acknowledged as like a woman in this field I just want to be acknowledged for what I bring to the table. So for you, how, how do we combat that? How do we um, balance acknowledging that gender is an issue in hiring practices, but also, you know, being appreciated for what we bring to the table, gender aside? Uh, I think that's a good question. It's a big question. And I apologize that we keep getting beeping. It's my email. Um, coming through. I should have turned it off. It's okay. Uh, so, uh, I, I, of course, I just want to be known as coach. Right. But I'm, I am proud to be a woman. Right. I'm proud to be a mother. And to me, these are part of my toolbox. This is, you know, this is what I bring. I bring a totally different vibe as a person, as to the experiences I've had as a female, um, as, as a mother, um, I mean, just the amount of myriad things that relate to, you know, how you can work with players, just having that experience. But, um, so I'm not looking to erase it. I'm just looking for qualified people. How mm-hmm. do we, how do we, um, make sure that qualified people can get the job? Um, and I think the rest stands for itself. You know, when you do the job well, you're just Justine. You're just Annie. And, and that's it. And that's kind of the goal to me. It's not to erase anything or pretend I'm not yeah. a female or, or mask it. 
no, this is who I am. This is why I am the best candidate. Yeah. Is, these are all the tools, my PhD, my pers- perseverance, my baseball knowledge, my, you know, organizing birthday parties. Do you know how much crap goes into organizing those things? Like this <laughs> is all great stuff that makes you a leader and makes you a team player and, and uh, able to do your job. Oh my God, that's funny. Organizing birthday parties that, you know, I haven't always envisioned myself as a mother, but maybe, maybe I should just to learn that extra skill set that'll make me better at my job. No, no, no. There's uh, to each its own. But I've certainly, uh, I've certainly learned some skills I never thought I would need to know, including cupcake decorating. You know, when you have a, when you have a kid who's not exactly like you, yeah. you know, you have a choice. You can try to make them like you, or you can go on this beautiful path of making them happy. And I happen to have a, an artist musician for a daughter who's like a total hippie. And, and, you know, I couldn't be more proud. Accomplishing your dreams is very challenging. So to that point, I wonder what lesson in your career has taken you the longest to learn, but, you know, provided invaluable lessons that, that you obviously needed in order to reach the success that you've reached? I've never been asked that before. Um, I would, I, you know, to be real, there are days I haven't wanted to get out of bed. You know, you're so busy pulling the daggers out of your back or, you know, someone's so focused on a part of your failure that you you wonder yourself whether you can move on. Um, But in the end, you got to move on. A new new day is a new day. And and, um, so, you know, it's, you know, it's it's really a gift to have a passion and and to know what you want to follow. it's, it's, it's difficult, but it's a real gift to know and have a direction where you want to go. So for me, I've learned that from, from a, an administrator, someone who runs a nonprofit, someone who started this at 23 and made so many mistakes because there was no one helping me, like this is how you run a business. Right. Um, is that you can't let a middleman speak for you. You know, you have to have the difficult conversations yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to sometimes initiate and sometimes you just have to listen and say I was wrong mm-hmm. for sure. I think for me, um, just daily, I just have to remind myself that all I can do is the process and keep getting better. Just, you know, not just as a baseball coach, but also just as a person, how can I be a better person mm-hmm. and how, you know, I think in my toughest times, I just remember, like, how can I serve? How can I be of service to others? And, and in this case, it happens to be a community of girls. It's a community of girls that needed a voice and, and we were able to provide them. And it's certainly not me. I have a whole leadership team, volunteers and so on with Baseball for All. But, you know, I've asked myself that many, many times. How can I serve? And that's helped keep a compass going north. Man, that hits so hard because I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling of like when something goes wrong or you have someone telling you, you messed this up or, or you personally just know you messed something up. It's hard to let that go, but reminding yourself that the day is a new day. Every day is a new day. And, you know, reminding yourself of how you can be of service. Definitely. Like you said, keeps the compass pointing in the right direction. And also just, yeah. Reminding yourself that 
it's a, it's a true privilege to know what your passion is and be able to live that every day. Like there are so many people who wake up every day and, and don't get to live out their passion. And that is a real blessing and one that I don't take for granted either, but wrapping up here. And I, I, I've asked all of my guests this just because everyone provides such valuable insight what is your hope for the next generation of women in sport? And since I'm talking to a brilliant baseball mind, women in baseball. My hope is that it's easy. <laughs> yeah, my hope is that it's no longer um, we're having a conversation about whether or not there's equal gender pay or did you get the opportunity? Um, those type of things. You know, my hope is that in many ways, baseball for all becomes obsolete and we're no longer fighting for girls, but just simply highlighting their accomplishments, uh-huh. you know? Um, so, so those are my hopes. My hopes is that, you know, every, every girl knows that her potential is unlimited and, you know, every boy knows that his size doesn't shrink when a girl goes forward, you know, that we can, um, move up together. That's how we grow. And then together, you know, society's just better when boys and girls can get out of their boxes and follow whatever they're passionate about. Oh gosh, the gems. That was so good. You know, and I think that translates from gender to race to, to any person of privilege, knowing that you don't shrink just because the playing field is, is what it should be. And that's equal. Thank you for coming on Equal Play today and thank you for all that you you do for women in baseball.